Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. Alright guys, so today we're going to go over Judge Barrett's nomination and confirmation as it continues. They should have some vote today, later today. We'll also go over how Biden is continuing to backtrack his statements from the debate and then more on the Hunter Biden scandal that released and broke over the weekend. We'll go on about how the left and the media are trying to silence the Trump and Pence campaign through COVID-19 and infection rates of that. And then at the very, very end, we'll go over some poll data that's released over this weekend that may indicate Trump closing and tightening the polls. And we'll cover all that later in the episode. But first, over this weekend, the Senate convened a rare um, session, Saturday session, to debate uh, the confirmation of Judge Barrett. In that, according to a Fox News report, only two senators opposed the procedural vote. Pretty much it's a vote that just says, yes, we'll take it to another real vote after the debates. And those two were Senator Murkowski of Alaska and then Senator Susan Collins of Maine. In a report from Fox News over the weekend, Murkowski said that she opposed the Senate taking up the Supreme Court nominee so close to the November 3rd election. But the Senator said that she had already lost that procedural fight and that she must evaluate Barrett's qualifications to the bench. I will be a yes, Murkowski said on Saturday in a floor speech. I have no doubt about her intellect. I have no doubt about Judge Barrett's judicial temperament. And I have no doubt about her capability of doing the job and to do it well. So pretty much what's happening is, is Judge Murkowski and Judge, I'm sorry, Senator Murkowski and Senator Collins are both locked in very, very heated campaigns against Democratic opposers in their respective states. So I think that Murkowski voting against the procedural vote was one to try to save face and to at least say that she tried to oppose it. But ultimately, when it goes to vote, they're no longer voting on whether or not the vote should occur. Now they're voting on her, on Judge Barrett's actual qualifications. And I think that that's what Senate Murkowski was trying to say. So the Republicans hold a 53-seat majority in the Senate, and those two Republican senators who broke party lines were obviously uh, Senator Murkowski and Senator Collins. The stuff that they're saying is so overrated, and that the, the Democrats are just going to continue to throw a fit. The bottom line is that the Constitution says that the president shall nominate it, and it's the Senate's job to confirm it. RGB herself, who over the debates was constantly quoted saying that not enough respect was shown to her and that Judge Barrett's going to undo everything that she stood for. RGB herself has been quoted saying that we elect presidents for four years, not three years. And the same goes with senators. They still have a constitutional duty to do their job up until the time that they leave office. You can't choose when you're going to act and when you're not going to because of the fact that there's an election coming up. Further, everyone uses that the fact that when Obama was president, his last term, he elected a judge to fill the seat and the Senate refused to take it to a vote. Unfortunately, that is just a consequence of losing the election. For President Trump, he's lucky, and the Republicans are lucky. They hold a majority in the Senate, 
and they hold the presidency. And so that is just going to be what happens. And if the Democrats have the exact same majority and the table was reversed, and let's say that this was Obama's last year in office and the Democrats held the Senate majority, do you not think that they would be having a vote right now? Do you not think that they would be pushing through whatever liberal judge that Obama nominated? Like hell they would be. We all know that that's what's going to happen. So today the Senate is still in session and the Democrats are, like I said, beginning doing everything that they can, giving long speeches at protests and fighting the, nom- or the confirmation, but ultimately it's still gonna happen. So here is a video of today of Senator Marsha Blackburn talking about the real reason why this nominee means so much to the Democrats and why we cannot allow it to happen. Here she is. For activist judges, how about that? They fear conservative activism. What are they going for? Liberal activism. That's the kind of judge they're looking for. Not a constitutionalist, not somebody that calls balls and strikes. They're looking for somebody who's going to do their work for them. So they don't have to pass something through Congress. They don't have to deal with we the people. Yo, like I feel like she took the words literally right outside of my mouth. Like it is ridiculous how much of a fit they're throwing. But to understand, we have to look at like why it is the way that it is and why they're throwing such a huge of a fit. So backtrack like two, like 20 years ago, so like two decades ago, and you have like the passage of like Roe v. Wade and, and all those that have been going on for decades, right? The left has used the judicial branch as kind of like an extension of their legislative arm. Like Senator Blackburn said, when, when the Democrats could not get something passed in Congress, they couldn't get the votes, or they couldn't get something to pass the Senate, they just looked to the Supreme Court and had the Supreme Court legislate from the bench. And that's not how it's supposed to be. They're not supposed to be able to use the legislative branch to cram down laws that weren't able to be passed. And that is this, like literally the pure reason why the Democrats are having such a hard time with this. They know they're going to lose majority. It's going to tip the court in a conservative majority that therefore will no longer vote in their favor of legislating from the bench, pretty much. So in talking about like Democrats protesting, Senator Patrick Leahy tweeted, masks are off in more ways than one. Okay, don't kid me here where he released a four-page statement about the nomination and confirmation. And let me tell you, it was awful to read. The hypocrisy, the absolute lies that were told in it were just terrible. Go to his Twitter, read it. It's absolutely horrendous. But it starts off with him speaking about Judge um, Ginsburg and her memory, and then immediately flips on how Trump is set out to destroy her memory by nominating a new judge days after her passing. Just because you disagree with it does not make it wrong. Just because you disagree with it does not like say that he cannot fulfill his duties or that he should 
fulfill his constitutional duties. Republicans hold the majority, so there's going to be a vote. Has nothing to do with R RGB's, sorry, Ruth Bader Ginsburg memory. Has nothing to do with her. Has nothing to do with them going to overturn Roe v. Wade, because honestly, I don't even think that they have it. Even if Judge Kavanaugh, let's say that Judge Barrett, you might have Toledo, maybe. I don't think that you'll get Chief Justice Roberts just in his judicial votes that have come out recently. They've been more left-leaning than they have been right-leaning. Right the Supreme Court, I do not believe, has the votes to overturn Roe v. Wade. I just, I don't see that happening. And the left is just using that as a rallying cry on why they don't want to lose the liberal majority inside the Supreme Court. They're further freaking out about how in 2017, Mitch McConnell changed the rules. So prior to 2017, they needed a supermajority for a nomination and the Supreme Court, which means they needed 60 votes. In 2017, they passed that it's just needed a simple majority, meaning they just needed a majority of the votes inside the Senate. So 51 votes, it passes. But what I think a lot of people don't understand, and this is really true when we look at a lot of legis I'm sorry, a lot of like legislation passing, laws that are being passed, rules of the House and the Senate, things like that, is that those are a pendulum. And eventually we're going to swing back into a Democrat majority Senate, meaning that that law will still be there. That rule will still be there. That simple majority is all that's needed for a vote to pass. And so that's going to be used against the Republicans. And so just because you don't like it now, don't lie to me and tell me that when you, you hold the majority, you're not going to use that simple majority because it's absolutely just not true. Eventually, the laws that we pass now and that this Republicans pass now are going to have consequences in the future. And it's just as simple as that. And so for them to sit there and try to blast him for changing the rules is just absurd. Don't act like you're not going to use it because you're going to. Ultimately, like, what does it all mean? Is that they're just going to try to delay the inevitable because as we've seen, um, Mitt Romney, he's going to vote for it. He is going to vote in favor of it. We saw that Senator Murkowski is going to vote in favor of confirming her. So the Republicans have the vote and it's just ultimately at the end of today, them getting the vote they need to confirm her into being an assistant Supreme Court justice. So, um, the next thing that I want to cover is, it's a controversial topic that's been talked about for the last week and a half, and that's the Biden scandal and the Hunter Biden scandal and everything going around the dealings with China and Burisma and Hunter Biden's foreign interaction with um, foreign entities. So over the weekend, the Daily Caller broke an article claiming to have received copies of messages that if Joe Biden was aware of them, would def definitely implicate him in all of this. So in that article, it claims to have messages about, I'm sorry, have messages from Hunter Biden to Bobolinsky talking about how he wants to plan and I chooses where they want a business and they need an American shell for the company and that they want to avoid the FCPA and the FARA and 
all these legal laws that would ultimately get them in trouble. There's no simple way to put it that it would implicate them. They get in trouble in federal law and it would be very, very bad for the Biden family. So here's that Inside the Daily Caller written by Chuck Ross, who's an investigative reporter. It says a day after sending messages, sending the message, Biden arranged a meeting between his father, Joe Biden, and Tony Bobolinsky, one of the prospective partners in a deal with the CEFC, China Energy, a Chinese conglomerate whose chairman had links to the communist regime in Beijing. It's, we don't have to register as foreign agents under the FCPA, which is much more expansive, excuse me, I'm so sorry, expansive than the people who should know choose not to know. Hunter Biden wrote to Bobolinsky on May 1st, 2017, according to the message attained by the DCNF. No matter what it will need to be the U.S. company at some level in order for us to make bids on federal and state funded projects. Biden appeared to be referring to the Foreign Corrupt Practices, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, FCPA, as well as the Foreign Agent Registration Act. So we'll stop right there for now. To understand why that is so important, we got to kind of understand like what those two acts do. So the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act was an act that was created to stop foreign entities and trade and foreign businesses from being able to bribe foreign officials in order to get better um, like trade deals, be able to open up their business to better markets, things like that. Then the Foreign Agents Registration Act is an act that requires any business that's going to do business abroad to register under the as a foreign agent, pretty much. And what it does is that it tells the federal government, hey, like I'm doing business abroad. Here, make sure you're monitoring my finances to make sure I'm not violating any international law or the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act or anything like that. So Hunter Biden saying, well, we don't want to register in either of those two acts, and us having an American shell company or having some form of American business for the company will avoid all of that. Well, if you're not bribing a foreign official and you're not doing anything illegal, why would that matter? So I'm gonna throw up on the screen here real quick, just a picture of the messages that were between, where they're allegedly between Hunter Biden and Tony Bobolinsky, and I'll quote it exactly as it says here. It says, no matter, it will need to be a U.S. company at some level in order for us to make bids on federal and state funded projects. Also, we don't want to have to register as foreign agents under the FCPA, which is much more expansive than people should know, choose not to know. James has very particular opinions about this, so I would ask him about the foreign entity. Regardless, we should have a DE come. I think that when you add all that together, you add up the part of the emails referring to an agreement that Hunter Biden was going to hold part of it, and then Joe Biden's going, I'm sorry, not Joe Biden, the big guy is going to hold part of it, and then NIDA, it comes out that he didn't want to register in the FCPA or the FARA. It seems pretty clear that there was going to be some money going to Joe Biden, whether it be for investment, whether it be for political influence, whatever it may be, I think that this, if this message is true, it almost purely implicates Joe Biden as at least knowing about his son's foreign dealings and if not directly involved in his son's foreign dealings. Like, it needs to be investigated. 
the DOJ, the FBI need to be investigating this. And the fact that an FBI and the DOJ has not launched an inquiry into this is absolutely absurd. If it was flipped around and Trump was a member of Trump's family was being alleged to be trying to violate the FCPA or bypass the FCPA, or that he was in some form of dealing with a corrupt energy firm with ties to the communist regime in China, they would be all over that. Mueller's FBI, all over it. DOJ, all over it. And it's absolutely absurd that we have not seen that, especially as we're moving so close to an election where a potential contributor in that crime is a presidential candidate. It would have severe consequences. All right. So talking about consequences in the election, Biden has now made it like it's trying to like backtrack and like take back all the statements he said about fracking, all the statements he said about ending it. The fact that he all the way what he was said at the presidential debate was taken out of context. And that's not what he meant <clears throat> is not what he meant. So over the weekend, Biden went over on the trail to Pennsylvania where Honestly, he was finally asked some tough questions, to be honest, um, from the local media. And he had multiple interviews with local reporters there and his plan on him getting rid of the oil industries. So in a report from Fox News, they talked about the transition from the oil industry and what Biden's intention is in that state, where he... is then quoted saying in three separate local interviews, look, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. My great-grandfather was a mining engineer, so I come from coal country. And I'm not talking about eliminating fracking. I just said no more fracking on federal lands, which is a lie. With regards to gas, oil, coal, and all of it, the transition is taking place, having nothing to do with anything I'm proposing. Well, it's a lie. If you completely end... Fracking, even if it's on federal grounds, you are pushing towards that transition. Don't go trying to play that you're not, that your policies wouldn't play into that. Anyway, continuing, the fact is the fastest growing industries in the country are solar and wind. We can move in a direction where the transition takes place so that our, so that people are not left behind and that we got to invest in the new technologies. Talking to an NBC affiliate, WRE, in Wilkes Bar the same day, Biden said said the same message. I will not ban fracking. I said no fracking on federal land. I will not ban fracking, number one. Number two, the coal and, excuse me, the natural gas industry and oil is not going to be fundamentally changed. All right. You've already said that you're going to end fracking. You never said on, on federal lands. The Trump administration released a video of you countless times saying that you're going to take it away. So you can't backtrack it and say that you're not when you've already said that you will. So the fact that you're going to continue saying that is just absurd. Further, according to a report from the United States um, employment, like energy employment uh, report, fuel employment, the fuel employment by industry sector in Pennsylvania Mining and extraction jobs represent 44.3% of fuel jobs in Pennsylvania, being that mining and extraction is 23,512, while manufacturing accounts for 16,432. 
Um, oil and other petroleum, 18,550. Natural gas, 14,117. So when you're looking at almost 60,000 jobs being taken away, and not only will those people be out of jobs, you look at things like truck drives that transport the oil. You're looking at the economic turmoil that it will cause it. Now you have 60,000 plus people out of a job, not spending money in the local economy. That's huge. Like what like repercussions does that hold? And so, like Trump said, that's a big business statement that he made, saying that he's going to take it away. And now him trying to backpedal it on the back half as we get this close to election, it's just him lying. Like he slams Trump over his inability to create with a comprehensive plan on COVID-19. COVID-19 is a pandemic that's ever-changing and evolving and something that was not precedented until 2020. Biden can't even come up with a comprehensive plan on what he plans to do with the energy sector and the oil sector. Once you said you're not going to ban it, then you say you're going to ban it, then you go back and say you think you're not going to ban it. Uh, what is it, Joe? Like, come on, man. As he said, come on, man. Like, let's figure this out. All right. So further, over the weekend, Maggie Habersham of the New York Times reported that several of Pence's aides had contacted COVID-19. While the Democrats and the left have been kind of using COVID and the fact that people inside of the White House have become infected with it as a reason to silence their campaign. At this point, I'm just tired of hearing it. I'll be honest, I know you guys are too. But the virus is not going away. The cases are always going to rise. And so I don't understand where they're trying to go with this. But Maggie Haberman, Haberman out of that New York Times report, says it raises questions on how serious they're taking the COVID-19 because they're going to continue to campaign after Pence and his wife tested negative not only on Saturday, but on Sunday as well. They continue to try to say, well, people you know, people around you have tested positive. You shouldn't campaign. Let's not forget that the estimated death of COVID-19 was supposed to be 2 million people. We're at just over 200,000 people dead, which is terrible. Don't get me wrong, 200,000 people, way too many Americans dead. But in contrast to 2 million people, we're doing pretty well. And to say that you shouldn't continue to campaign, which, Biden still is. Just because COVID-19 is there is just untruthful. This is the same narrative that they've been pressing for months now, that the cases are rising. Well, the cases are always going to rise. Look at the flu, the flu virus, for instance. It has a vaccine, and every year the cases of the flu continue to rise. It's a virus, and it's not going to go away. And the flu, which has the same lethality almost as COVID-19 in young, healthy adults, continue to rise. We don't shut down the economy. We don't stop elect, like political campaigns. We don't stop American lives. And we don't silence the American people over it. And the fact that they continue to use this fear tactic is this them just trying to perpetrate this fear so they can keep control over the American people. And it's uncalled for. All right. So finally going to the end, and this is actually like my favorite part of this entire 
podcast today, guys. Like, I'm actually really, really excited for this. So before the debate, I said that if Trump did good, showed up at the debate, was presidential, and didn't have a repeat of his first debate, we are going to see the polls tighten. So over the weekend, that is exactly what we saw. We saw the polls begin to tighten. And then today, they tighten just a little bit more. So first of all, we'll go to real, the real clear politics. The national, the national polling data, <coughs> if I can speak, the national polling data has indeed begun to show that shift. So um, between the dates of 1021 to 1025, it actually shows Trump up plus one in the general election. That's from a Rasmussen report, um, a ID, IBD TIPP poll in the exact same time does show Biden up seven points with a margin of error about 3.2%, meaning that Biden could be up as much as 10.2% or down as low as up like 3.8%. So I'm sorry, 4.8%, my apologies. But I think that what's even more important to look at is go in and look at the historical poll data for all the polls, and you'll see how much they began to change. And that's what's going on, is that the polls are tight. Sure, does the national average still have Biden up? Yes, that is true. However, it's began to shrink. And honestly, the national average doesn't really matter that much because Trump could lose the popular vote like he did in 2016, but win a few swing states and then the electoral college votes are what actually matter. So speaking of those battleground states, the battleground states have begun to close as well. In North Carolina, a report from CBS from the dates of 1020 to 1023 have Biden up four points. A report from Trafalgar Group during the exact same time period has Trump up three points. In Florida, Biden is up two points in a CBS uh, poll from 1020 to 1023 with a margin of error of about 3.2 or so, which is, is good. It means that Biden or Trump could actually be up 1.6 points or Biden, like I said, could be up almost 5.8 points. In Pennsylvania, you've seen a history of Biden being up 5.3 back in 1019, Biden up uh, five points in 1017. And then in an insider advantage released today, you have Trump up two points. So what we're starting to see is we're starting to see that pull data change. In Arizona back in 1016, Biden was up six points. In 1014, Biden was up three points. In 1018, prior to the, prior to the debate, Biden was up one point. After, after I can't speak. After the debate, Trump was up one point. So in these key battleground states, we're starting to see that poll data begin to tighten and close. And I think that's purely indicative of Trump's performance and Biden's lack of performance during that debate. People are starting to see that Trump is the president that America needs, regardless of his character flaws, which all around has been what everybody said. If you make it about Trump's character, he will lose. If you make it about his policies versus 
Biden's policies, then Trump will win. And that is what we're seeing. So like I said, Georgia now, from a poll from CBS, is tied. Texas, Trump is now up five points in a Houston poll. A DMN poll has, um, before the, in Texas, a DMN, DMN poll had Biden up three points in Texas. So as we push closer and closer to the election, those polls are going to slowly tighten. And I think we're gonna get a much better picture of what the election's actually going to look at as we continue towards that. If Trump can get the points that Biden leads into a region where it's under the margin of error, then he's going to win the election. If he can get it in with, within like a three point difference, then Trump is going to win the election. In 2016, we saw that Hillary had almost double digits uh, differences or point leads in the swing states and Trump won them. So am I saying there's a secret Trump vote out there? No, but what I'm saying is, is there's a lot of people who are Trump supporters that don't openly say that they're Trump supporters because of the backlash that they know they're gonna get from the left. And I think that we're going to see that. I think Trump, Trump's performance in the debate called out and motivated enough of the Republicans that were like, uh, should I really vote for him? or should I really vote at all? I think that that's what he did. He called out those Republicans that were on the fence and they're going to vote for him. So that's it for today, guys. Remember, tune in on Thursdays. It'll be another episode of Thoughtful Thursdays where I'm interviewing a very Democrat, Democratic individual who holds very opposing viewpoints of me. Um, we'll be having a very controversial questions over right, like today's most political questions, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the voting in, I'm sorry, the confirmation of Judge Barrett, the election, and we will see those opposing viewpoints in that conversation. And all right, as always, if you already don't, make sure you follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find my actual video of this podcast on YouTube, so make sure that you follow there. Hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications if you don't already, so you can get all the notifications of when I go live and when it's going to post. And as always, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening and God bless you all.